Many generations of educators have been inspired by the 1933 classic, The Miseducation of the Negro by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, including my next guest, Professor Andrew Baskin. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Today, Professor Baskin and I discuss his approach to teaching and inspiring students. It is a fact. Students need professors who expect excellence. Professor Baskin has taught college classes for 49 years and is Professor Emeritus at his alma mater, Berea College. He is the only faculty member to receive Berea College's three most prestigious faculty awards for community service, academic advising, and excellence in teaching. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about Professor Baskin. Hi, good morning, uh, Mr. Andrew Baskin. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone. Thank you, Ramona. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for accepting my inv invitation to be on the show. Uh, as you know, the Empowerment Zone is all about the empowerment of the African-American and Latino communities. And with you being a fellow educator, uh, you education is all about empowerment, right? And Correct. so um, could you tell me a little bit about your work as an educator and what your philosophy is as a teacher? All right. Uh, well, my philosophy is, I think, very simple. Uh, the first day of class, I really think it's important. I believe the first day of class is where the teacher makes it very clear to the students what the expectations and the standards will be for that particular class. That way, if the student, uh, if, if that, if the student is unhappy or doesn't, don't, does not think that they can be successful, then the student should have the right uh, to lead the class. Uh, my philosophy is I, I just basically say to the students, I am an old fashioned Southern black teacher. Uh, I am paid to teach. I am not paid to be your friend. I am paid to try to make sure that you are a better student after at the end of the term than you are at the beginning of the term. I make it very clear that my class is not a democracy. Uh, it be, hopefully will be a benevolent dictatorship. Um, that means that uh, I do not accept students saying, I don't know. I believe you have to try. It's very easy to say, I don't know. Uh, I, I use the Socratic method. Uh, I do not enjoy lecturing. Uh, I can lecture, but I believe the students have to be involved in their own education. So uh, if in a Baskin class, there is a lot of discussion. Uh, and hopefully we can reach some consensus, but if not, I try to get my students to understand 
they can they can still disagree without being disagreeable. Um, I focus upon reading, writing, listening, thinking, um, and I don't try to first day I don't try to hurt people's feelings, but on the first day I try to be very honest, and that is uh, to let the students know that college is not high school. And some of the things that they did in, in high school to be successful were not gonna work in my class. And I do not believe in curving grades. I do not believe in extra credit. I do not, I really believe that students are supposed to be on time. Thus, if my class starts at eight o'clock, I'm expecting you at eight o'clock. And if you decide that you wanna come in at 8.30, there will be quite a few days that the door will be locked and you will not come in. Um, so I just, I'm just old fashioned. That's it. Uh, I probably don't use a lot of technology. Uh, there'll be some days in class that I will have my students uh, put up their notebooks because I think too often in education, what students do is they walk in and they pull out their notebook or their iPad or their phone or whatever this day and age. And whatever the teacher says, they start writing. And then they, then they get to the end of the class period to close up the notebook. And what is an exam? Well, exam is basically where they will regurgitate back to the teacher what the student, what, what the teacher has said in class. And that may be work for some classes, but I don't think it works for all classes. And so in my classes, I want the discussion, I want the reading, and I want the writing, and I want the student to have a voice. I want them to have a voice, and I want them to understand their voice is important, except for giving rules for my class. Now that, that can't, that can't be that important, but I want them to have, to understand that they have a voice. And at the end of the day, they still, we all have to still remember that we are still sharing the same earth. We're breathing the same air. We're drinking the same water. So sometimes we do get so focused on our differences that we forget our similarities. So that's it. Very simple philosophy. You are old fashioned and it's just so funny. When yeah, you, started off, you said I established the expectations and standards on the first day. And one right. of the first things you said is I am not your friend. You said like my, my parents used to always tell us that uh, -uh I am not your friend, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, that is just so funny. Um, you know, we have similar philosophies, you know, I always, um, believed in the importance of classroom participation because I feel mm -hmm. like no one has a monopoly on knowledge, that right. everybody can contribute to the learning process. And you talked about students having voices. That's where they really hone in on their voices is through class participation and being able mm -hmm. to interact with their fellow classmates, with their professor to really engage the content uh, that is being discussed. Uh, and so um, I agree with you that classroom participation is so important, but your focus, you talked about reading, writing, thinking, critical thinking, but listening, man, I, you know, I didn't, 
when I was a professor, I didn't think about the importance of listening, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of a skill, but that is definitely a skill set um, that we need to continue to teach um, students. Um, I was just on this podcast called Listen In, uh, which is um, the host is Raquel Ark, and her expertise is listening. And you know, it's just so important for, I think that's one of the challenges we have going on in our society right now, right? Especially when you look at government, we're not listening to each other. You know, we're not listening to each other. And that's a skill that we definitely have to, uh, have to help students to develop is the skill Mm -hmm. of listening. So uh, you shared uh, your uh, philosophy of teaching. where, uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, throughout your career? But first, before we get that, get uh, before you answer that question, where did you serve as a professor? How long were you there? What is your background in terms of being a college professor? All right. Um, I was very fortunate in terms of getting my first job. Uh, when I graduated in December of 1972 from Berea College with a, uh, my degree in history. And I had enough hours if we had had a major in Black studies at that time. I was hired to teach at a, a small uh, private junior college uh, affiliated with the Methodist Church in, in Virginia. And the college was called Ferrum College, F-E-R-R-U-M. I was at Ferrum for 10 and a half years uh, and it eventually became a four-year school while I was there, but it started off as a private junior college. Then I returned to my alma mater, uh, Berea College. Uh, I was there at Berea for 36 years and at Berea, I was director of the Black Culture Center. Uh, I also uh, eventually became uh, the chairperson of African and African-American studies and I also taught a lot of general studies courses. And I mainly taught the core courses uh, that were required for first year students. I retired from Berea in 2019. And the last three years I have taught as an adjunct at Simmons College of Kentucky in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a uh, small private uh, HBCU that is not necessarily affiliated with any denomination, but uh, it was founded by the General Association of uh, Baptists in Kentucky, which would be the Black Baptist. Uh, so 49 and a half years. Wow. Uh, HBCU stands for Historically Black College and University. Um, so um, you uh, have had an outstanding career as a teacher, and I know you've gotten several awards from Berea. Could you, Berea, could you tell us those awards you've received and in um, the excitement of uh, having a a um, endowment named after you? Um, yeah, um, and as I stated earlier, before we talked, I. Sometimes I feel very uncomfortable talking about this because uh, right place, right time. I I really don't know, uh, Ramona, what I do or have done that's special. And one thing I want to remind about the philosophy before I say that, I also tell students the first day 
that I will introduce some of them to the sixth letter of the alphabet, okay? Uh, that some of them had not seen an F before, and I'm going to introduce them to the F because they, I don't believe, I believe sometimes we have great inflation in our society. And just as you can pass, you have the right to fail. Uh, I, at Ferrum, I won the Hurt Faculty Achievement Award, which is the uh, award that Ferrum College, uh, I guess, gave for faculty uh, achievement. At Berea, 2002, I won the Miles Service Award for my involvement in the community. Uh, 2004, I won the highest award, teaching award at Berea College, which was the Seabury uh, uh, Award uh, for Excellence in Teaching. And in 2016, I won the uh, Hager Award for Academic Advising. Uh, so when I left Berea, uh, I was the only faculty member in the history of the school to ever win all three awards. Uh, so I, I don't know how long I'll be the only, but I can always say I was the first. And in 2021, uh, on faculty, uh, staff, alumni, and friends of Berea College, raised uh, enough money that the college has created an endowed scholarship, uh, which is called the Andrew and Simidar Baskin Student Research Fund. And these funds will be used to help students who will be doing research in African and African-American studies. Because I remember when I was director of the program, we didn't have the funds if a student wanted to do research. And so now with this scholarship, uh, all future Bereans uh, who are doing uh, research in African and African-American studies, there will be money available to help them with to pay the cost of that. Well, congratulations on that honor. Uh, it is going to be a part of your legacy. In addition to teaching, you're going to have an indefinite legacy of having a scholarship fund available for students studying African-American studies. Um, mm -hmm. So looking, uh, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background because you're one of, uh, you could be considered one of the the uh, master teachers that exist, right? If people have acknowledged your work, uh, you might not like I, me never, to use that term. You might not like me to use that term, but no, I just have never thought of that term as yeah, a master. Yeah. I really don't. I really don't. And I'm, it's not a false sense of humility. I really don't see where I do anything that special. Well, you know that, as you know, teaching in the African-American community and the Latino communities is a well-respected profession. Mm -hmm. And yes. that uh, it goes back in terms of the African-American community, goes back even to the African continent where that where the griot was the yes. well-respected uh, individual teacher in the community. Yes. So uh, I, am, I embrace that and you might not have thought of it, but uh, we do know that there are some teachers that have truly transformed minds and made an impact on individuals. And so it's good to, uh, it is a pleasure to acknowledge you as that. Well, so thank you. When 
you're here to, I really want you to tell your background because we're here to talk about the continued miseducation of the African-American. And you talked about being a teacher for 49 and a half years, I'm sure you have a certain perspective on the miseducation of African-Americans. Going back to Carter G. Woodson's, The Miseducation of the Negro, one of the classics in uh, African-American literature. So what, it, what, what are your thoughts about the miseducation of African-Americans currently and then I wanna go into what do you feel like are the solutions? What are the, you think are the strategies and tactics that we need to uh, employ as educators in order to right the miseducation? I, I definitely believe that the miseducation continues. Um, I think, as I say to my students, I am a Woodson man uh and i still have my students to read the miseducation of the negro because if you allow someone else to control your education you're going to allow that perturbed person or that entity to control you when we look at what is going on in america and we look at who is educating our children we are not educating our children. And if we're not educating our children, that means someone else is educating them. And so many students uh, walk on our college campuses now, African-American students walk on the college campuses and they don't necessarily believe that they belong there. Uh, so many, I, I believe walk on the college campuses also unprepared. They're unprepared because what has occurred, occurred in high school and they're unprepared what maybe, because maybe what has happened at home that the parent or the community is not investing in education uh, as it once did. What I have seen over the years is that when the, when our many too many African American students and step on campus, they really can't read and they can't, I won't say they can't, they have difficulties with reading and writing. And to be successful in college, you've got to read and you've got to be able to write. Um, and I, as I tell, say to my students, I know a lot of them, one of the first things they'll say, Mr. Baskin, I don't enjoy reading or I don't enjoy writing, especially. Well, I say, well, you may not enjoy, but it is a necessary tool for your survival at this institution and in life, because none of us know what, where you're going to be 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. You have to take advantage of every opportunity to prepare for a future that you don't know about. And what I say to those students is the only way you become a better writer is to write. You can't do it any other way. 
Yes. Uh, the only way you can become a better reader is to read. Uh, that's the reason I say to them, I do not accept, I don't know. You have to be willing to try. And I think so often that our, our students are, will not try because they're afraid to fail. You cannot be successful in life if you're, if you're afraid to fail. In fact, I, I don't know anything about your life, but I know mine. I have probably failed more than I have succeeded. But you've got to, uh, you've got to accept that that's just reality. And that's the only way that you're going to get better. So yes, uh, I think I have a reputation as being very tough on student writing, especially first-year student writing. Uh, because I know that if they can develop their skills and improve their skills their first year, then that will make the second year of college, the third year of college, and the fourth year of college much easier. And it will also make graduate school much easier. So when we talk about then miseducation, I, we've got to say to our students, to our Black students, you must learn those, the skills of writing, of reading, of thinking, of listening. And you have to believe, walk in believing that you can do it. And you know how you know you can do it? Because all you have to do is know your history. That your ancestors had, I won't say they had more difficult obstacles, but they had, uh, they, I wouldn't say they had more obstacles, but they had different obstacles. And they, because they overcame, you have an opportunity now. So I don't also allow my students to, to focus on the past. I want them to know the past, but I say very clearly, you're not going to live in the past. You're not going to focus upon what uh, may have happened 20, 30 years ago, or what even happened before you were born, okay? That's reality. What are you going to do with your future? So I'm saying to you, Ramona, it's an attitude thing that we have to deal with in our community. We have to help our young people believe that they can be successful. And uh, that to me, as long as the education system that we have makes sure that if we made the desegregated schools, and notice I said desegregated and not integrated schools that we go into, that we find the black kids in special ed, or we find the black kids in the general studies courses, and we find the few black kids in the college bound courses, we're always gonna be putting out the image to that black student. You can't do it. You can't succeed. And I just do not remember my parents saying that to me that I could not be successful at college. They were happy, they were proud that I went to college, but I don't remember them saying that you can't do something. So thank you for kind of outlining the challenges and then proposing some solutions. 
So when you look at the primary challenge that you discussed is that the education of African-American students is in the hands of others, right? So, and because of the ideas that others have of black children that they can be put in remedial education or general education and not really be pushed. Um, and the solution when you have um, teachers that really care about you, they help you build confidence. They help you to develop an attitude of learning. They teach you the importance of knowing your history. They teach you, like you said, if you're going to become a better reader and writer, you must be as you become. You have to do it simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But more so, all of that is about expectation and standards, mm -hmm. to your point earlier that mm -hmm. I've always been under the belief that students perform at the level of expectation. If you have low expectations, then they're going to perform, uh, they're, they're not going to perform well. If you have high expectations, they, they work more to uh, reach their potential. Now, mm -hmm. looking at the challenge, a lot of parents can't afford to send their children to public schools or even you know teach at home or what have you so it's almost as if the education has to be in the hands of others so what what are the solutions what do you propose to those uh persons who are out there making a social impact those educators who are um working k through 12 as well as higher education what do we do in order to prevent the miseducation of African-Americans? Well, I think, I know, well, no. well, I would say part of it is we, we've got to go back and I would think go back to somewhat to our African roots. We've got to think more so as a community and not as individuals. I think sometimes with African-Americans, we are, what W.B. Du Bois talked about, the double consciousness, mm -hmm. it definitely still exists. Uh, do we see ourselves uh, more, do we see ourselves like uh, white Americans or do we see ourselves more like Africans? And I think sometimes we fall in between. Uh, I've, I have taught enough students who are from the continent of Africa. Uh, there's no doubt when they step on a college campus, they understand what is expected of them. Uh, now, they may be a little bit limited in what they want to major in, but there's no doubt about the expectations. And I, I feel that we have to develop that idea, uh, that, we've got to, that we've got to raise the standards and, and expectations we have for African-Americans. We also have to start having African-Americans go back to the classroom. We have got to start teaching. Uh, and uh, the, last week I, had, I was at an event and I, I got to talk about my teaching philosophy and that I, I had written out my teaching philosophy. And I said, my teaching philosophy was developed from 1957 to 1967 when I went to Charles M. Hall School uh, for the first 10 years of my education that's located in Alco High School. It's a big structure that is still there. It's one of the black schools that is still standing. And 
that philosophy came about because I had teachers who looked like me. I had teachers who cared. I had teachers who would, whenever there was a funeral in the community, they would be there crying with me. Uh, whenever there was a wedding or some other celebration in the community, they would be crying the tears of joy with me. Uh, they would have taught uh, my relatives, my, my siblings. They were a part of the community. And I think part of what we have going on in higher education now, not higher, K through 12, as we have moved towards these big consolidated schools, uh, quite often kids are being left out. And we also have to remember at that time period, now I grant you, there were limits to what uh, terms of positions available to African-Americans. But African-Americans were teaching, and as you stated uh, earlier, teaching was considered one of the most, it was, being a teacher was respected. And so I believe that more of more young African-Americans have to return to the classroom. They have to go back. We got to go back to teaching because I think so many are ch supposedly ch chasing the dollars of going into business. Well, what I found in business, my wife had a, went to Virginia Tech and she made liberal arts and sciences. Uh, you know, it's what we found out, it, she became, she went into sales. She had a God-given ability to sell, okay? Because I saw her sell curvy vacuum cleaners to people who live in trailers, okay? And walk out with a signed contract. My point is some, quite often people are going to, students are going to the business thing, I won't make money, no you're not going to necessarily make money. You're not going, they're not choosing the major based upon what will make them happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can be, yes, substitute people. I know people say, well, I don't want to be poor all my life. Well, you don't know what, there are a lot of people in business who are poor uh, and a lot of people in business who have gotten laid off and so forth. And I, the point I'm saying, making is, we have got to return to the classroom. We've got to return and focus upon teaching. Now, a lot of education, as you know, occurs in the classroom, but most education occurs outside of the classroom. That's it. We have to gain, regain control of our community. And that means that the time that if, if so much, think about how much time and effort we spend making sure somebody plays football or someone plays basketball. Because both, my, both of my daughters were athletes. You know, one played basketball, soccer. Uh, the, the other one played softball. So I understand the time. But we also made sure that they understood they had to hit the books. And uh, there was a, an expectation that when they became senior seniors, we didn't ask them if they were going to college or if they were going somewhere. No, the issue was, where are you going? It comes down to expectation. And so I am saying that you have to, we have to start devoting more time to making sure that our students are better prepared. 
that may be a very conservative philosophy. I grant you that. But I'm a strong believer that you that you have to we you have to con take control of your own community, your own destiny. So if it may be conservative, I, that's fine. I just think I think sometimes we have become so dependent upon asking somebody else, what is somebody else going to do for us? We what I think the, the issue is what are we going to do for ourselves? So I am a big advocate for uh, college success in higher education. And you being an educator, um, I would like to know what are your strategies that you would suggest to students to ensure that they're successful in college? And Mr. Baskin, before you give us that answer, can you please tell us what college or colleges did you attend? What were your major, what was your major or majors and degrees? And then what strategy would you provide students to ensure that they're successful in college? All right, uh, I attended Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Uh, for anyone who knows about African-American history, Berea College is the alma mater of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. I majored in history and I had enough hours. If Berea had a major, uh, I would have had a double major in black studies. I created like an independent major. I earned the MA in uh, American history from Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I also earned uh, hours on the doctorate degree. But I was one of those that I did not enjoy graduate school for many different reasons. Plus uh, the cost, uh, my wife and I were talking about that a few days ago. So she was happy because that meant I got to spend, that meant she had more money to spend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so those were the, uh, the two institutions that I attended. So what would be my advice? I try to tell students that they have to understand, they have to reach out for assistance. There are a lot of services are available. At least I could speak about Berea uh, and how many, because I was there the longest, and how many services are available. Because that journey to college can be frightening. It can be lonely. There, there are going to be days that it will be difficult. I remind the students there are going to be days that you want to pack up and leave. Uh, and that's where you have to reach out for advice. There are people in the offices and most of the colleges and universities that are there to give you good advice. But I'm going to say something else that I think may surprise you. I also believe that there are certain, a lot of students who go to college at 18 who should not go. They are not ready. And I think they should maybe work for a year or two, or they should think about a trade or a skill because we are always gonna need plumbers, we're gonna need brick masons, we're gonna need electricians. And we also have to keep in mind they use critical thinking skills. 
all houses are not built alike. So all plumbing is not alike. Not all electricity is not alike. So all of these individuals who have the skills, they use critical thinking. So critical thinking doesn't only occur within the ivory uh, towers of a college or university. They occur in the real world. But we also have a lot of students who are not ready for college because they don't know why they are there. And so I also say to students who quite often begin to have difficulties, take some time and make sure that this is what you want to do. And if this is what you want to do, remember that you are investing in your future. And if you're going to invest in your future, you have to put something in to get something out. So find those offices that will help you. Don't run away. Do not run away from teachers that people think are difficult. I don't know. And I think one day we might need to talk about this. I have found that quite frequently, Black students run from Black teachers because many times they are not used to having, I'm always amazed even now, how many Black students, especially when I was at Berea, would say that I was the first Black male that mm -hmm. they had had. Mm -hmm. But then I think about my daughters uh, who both graduated from the University of Louisville. Each one of them only had from K through graduate school, one black male teacher. So don't run away from black faculty and staff. You know, we might talk, we might talk about the past a lot. We might bring up Martin Luther King Jr. and we might bring up Malcolm X, but those struggles helped us to survive and what we are there for is to help the newer generation of African-American students to survive. So don't run from us. Thank you so much for all of that great advice. Reach out for assistance. There are all types of resources on uh, campuses. Don't run away from difficult teachers and don't run away from African-American teachers. Recognize that college is not for everyone Understand that college is an investment and you have to be willing to make that investment. And lastly, understand your why. Know why you are in college. Thank you Correct. so much, Mr. Andrew Baskin. That was great advice. Thank you for the opportunity. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 